amen. <laughs> Let me uh, real quickly say this. Um, thank you for um, everything that you do for us as ministers and as staff. It's always nice to, uh, to have a day where you're told that you're appreciated. But we appreciate you. And most of all, we appreciate the prayers that you pray. Because our families need those prayers tremendously. And I want to say uh, real quickly, uh, we have a tremendous uh, group of people who work here and who minister for, for the Lord and who minister for you. Uh, Rhonda loves our senior adults, and it's evident in the, the joy that she has when she goes to work with them, and it's evident in how they respond to her. They love her in return. She, she makes a fuss over them, and, and they, they make a fuss over her. So uh, Rhonda is doing a tremendous job. Um, our, our ladies who work in the office, uh, Kathy and Sandy don't just look at this as as the they do a lot of business every day, but they both look at it from the spiritual side. They see an opportunity every week. They take the opportunity to minister to people in our congregation and to pray for people in our congregation. And it's wonderful to work with people in an office environment who bring that spiritual nature to that area. Mike is one of the most, our, our custodian is one of the most conscientious people that I have ever known. And Mike has, is, has, has a longing in his heart for relationships and for a family. And he has been able to, to begin to find that here uh, among you, you guys in, in our church. He, um, he doesn't understand all this church stuff yet. But he's beginning to understand that y'all really do love people. And it's making a difference in his life. Darby is amazing. I don't, uh, I just, don't, I, I'm blown away. The first night that we met, Darby met with a group upstairs, a group of adults, and she, uh, we were just thinking that Darby was going to kind of give us assignments. Darby laid out a plan, and it blew our minds uh, with the plan that she had. And it wasn't just that she's a good planner. It was through prayer, and it was through um, it was through the leading of the Holy Spirit, and it has made a difference in what our our kids are learning, and and how they're growing. And Darren has brought an excellence. He has challenged our choir to be excellent. He has challenged them to give the extra mile, to go the extra mile. And he has not only challenged them to be excellent in how they sing and how they how they play or whatever, he is challenging them in the word. He has brought a sense of discipleship to our choir. Darren loves God's word. I, he, when he comes in every week, he's carrying a Bible and a commentary, and he systematically studies through um, a, a Bible, a, a book in the Bible, all the time, and it's evident in his life. I leave anybody out. Make sure I didn't, because I'll be in trouble. No, I ain't no good. <laughs> I just love the fact that I get to preach. So, Ephesians chapter 1, 
beginning in verse number 15, let's honor God's word by standing and reading his word together. Paul is writing here to the church in Ephesus, and he says these words, beginning in verse number 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Father, take your word, use it to be glorified, and point us to Jesus, to your precious Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it being uh, Minister Appreciation Day, I heard this story this week about a pastor um, whose custom it was every week to go to the door and shake people's hands as they left the church. And one Sunday morning, as he was standing there waiting to shake hands of people who were leaving, he saw one of the deacon's children walking toward him, and the deacon's child was pulling in his pocket, and he pulled out some, some dollar bills, and he got there as he waited in line with, for, to shake hands with the preacher. As he shook hands with the preacher, he gave the preacher those crumpled up dollar bills. And the pastor said, son, I, I don't want to take your money. Um, don't, please, you, you keep your money. Why would you want to give me money? And he said, well, preacher, my dad said you're the poorest preacher we've ever had. And I just wanted to help you out if I could. <laughs> Uh, some of y'all's kids be coming at me with money here later. Can you imagine having the Apostle Paul as your pastor? Think about that for just a minute. Can you imagine having the Apostle Paul as your pastor? For two years, the church in Ephesus had the privilege of having the Apostle Paul as their pastor. The Apostle Paul, who is so... Uh, played such a huge role in the establishment of the church. The Apostle Paul, who was the, the, the focal point of most of the latter New Testament, the book of Acts, and who gave so much doctrine and so much instruction and instructed us in theology, this group of people had the privilege of being with him for two years. Now, this letter was written about five years after he left them, and after he has gone, this church has experienced an incredible growth. They have just uh, tremendously grown in, in, their, in their love for God and also in the number of people that they have reached. Now, in the first part of chapter 1, Paul blesses, he gives a blessing over this church. A lot of what you just heard the ladies sing, and thank you all, that was wonderful. A lot of what you just heard the ladies sing was in, is in Paul's blessing there in the introduction of chapter 1. And so any time that you're reading the Apostle Paul and you see these three words where he says, for this reason, Paul is breaking and he's transitioning from one subject to, the, to another subject. So Paul here, he has told this church, and this morning I'm beginning a four-week sermon series called Gratitude as we move toward the Thanksgiving time. Paul, is, he's, he's blessed these people. 
And now he's told them how much gratitude he has for them. And now he is coming to a place where he wants to tell them, because he's so grateful for them, he wants to tell them about how he prays, how he prays for them. And he says here in, in the early verses, after he says for this reason, he says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. It's wonderful when people speak about your church and they, and they don't speak about the architecture or they don't speak about the, uh, the buildings or they don't speak about um, this or that, but they speak about the people in your church and the faith of the people in your church. I get comments constantly. If I'm in the grocery store or if I'm at a ball game or I'm somewhere, I constantly have people or I get text messages from people and they'll tell me, Thank, please let the people in your church know how grateful I am for their prayers for me, for the cards and the letters and the, and the notes that they send and the visits that they've made. You see, they understand that you are a people of faith. You are a people of great faith and that you pray because you believe that God can change circumstances. And so they, they, I constantly have people tell me those things. And it's wonderful for a pastor to hear that people in our community and people outside of our community know that you are a people of great faith. Paul knows this. He knows this about the Ephesians. He recognizes that their faith is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That they don't have faith in themselves. They don't have faith in, 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 in their works or in any other thing. The only thing that they base their lives on is in the Lord Jesus Christ and their relationship with him. Look at what he says down here in verses number 8 and 9 of chapter 2 when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Paul says you get it. At church at Ephesus, you get it. You understand that it's about Jesus. And because you understand that it's about Jesus, it has radically changed your life and now it's radically changing the city around you. And I just want to take a few minutes here and tell you how, how blessed I was to be a part of your congregation. And then I want to take a little time and tell you that I never cease to pray for you. And that I, I hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I'm far removed from you right now. But I still hear about what you're doing there in Ephesus. The church has probably changed. There's probably a lot of new faces. There's probably a lot of people that I don't know, but I know this. I hear about how much you love Jesus and how much faith you have in Jesus, and you're making a difference. Paul says you get it. The Ephesian church not only looked to Christ for their salvation, but they trusted him with the rest of their everyday life. They didn't compartmentalize their relationship with Jesus and say, we're going to church on Sunday and we're coming back for Bible study one day this week. And that's when we'll do Jesus. They lived and they breathed and every part of their life was about their relationship with Jesus. They not only believed that Jesus had given them salvation and that he had provided eternal life for them, they believed this, that every single day of their life, Jesus was the most important part of their day. And that every situation and everything that they ever faced Jesus Christ was going to be there to lift them up and to help them through every situation. Now, I've seen this example here in our church family. I could, I could tell you testimonies of people here 
who, who could stand and tell you that Jesus Christ not only gave them eternal life and forgiveness of their sins, but beyond that, every single day of their life, Jesus has been with them and has walked with them and has sustained them through the deepest, hardest, darkest moments that anyone could imagine. There are people in our church that could give testimony of how Jesus carried them through tragedy, of how Jesus has been their sustainer during problems in their family. There are people here who could tell you that in the financial hardships that they faced, that it was Jesus who they relied on and Jesus who they depended on to help them through that. There are people here who can tell you about their health and, and the problems that they've had with their health and how they placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And Jesus was their sustainer. There are people here who I've watched people lose their jobs. I've watched people lose their, their occupation and, and, and their, what their families depended on. But they trusted and depended and kept their faith in Jesus. And they moved on and something else was provided for them. Paul says you people there in Ephesus amaze those people around you because you live out your faith every day in every single situation. And then he goes on to tell them, you are, I am blessed for you, and I know that you have a love toward all the saints. Now think about that. You have a love toward all the saints. We're in a, we're in a large room with a great number of people. All... If, if Paul is saying here that you love all, then that means every single person in this room, you love them. You get that? Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, you're demonstrating Jesus Christ because you have a love for all the saints. You love each other. Let me, let me share this with you. We can disagree and still advance the gospel. Let me say that again. We can disagree and still advance the gospel. We can disagree on the things that we like and the things that we don't like. We can disagree on, the, on, on, on trivial matters. But if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came and was born of a virgin, and that he lived a sinless life, and that he went to a cross as our substitute there, that he was buried for three days in a tomb, that on the third day he was resurrected by the power of God and that he ascended to heaven and that he sits at the right hand now making intercession for us. He's praying for us. If we agree on that, there's a lot of things that we can disagree on and we can still tell people about Jesus. Some of y'all need to get that. Some of y'all need to understand that. We can disagree and we can still advance the gospel. We can disagree and still be friends. I have friends that I disagree with on things. We're still friends. We don't let that uh, cause us not to be friends. We have a love toward This love that Paul is talking about is an agape love. We talked about this Wednesday night. Agape is that Greek word that every Baptist knows, and we all think we know Greek because we know the word agape. Agape is an unconditional love love agape is a purposeful love it allows us to love even those who are unlovely and even those who don't love us back it's a love 
like God has for us. Jesus gave us a new commandment in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said this to to his disciples. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He said it's easy for people to know if you're my disciple because they're going to see that you love each other. This is uh, the people, the citizens of Ephesus, the people who lived in Ephesus, they knew this about the church in Ephesus. They knew that these people loved each other and loved the people outside the church, and as a result of that, there had been many people outside of the church who had come to know Christ as their Savior. Because here's what the people in Ephesus saw. They said that, you know, this new church over here, they're not just going to a temple and offering sacrifices and burning some incense and, and, and bowing before Caesar and leaving the same old person that they were when they went into the temple. These people are the same outside of their church as they are. They, they, they have the same love for everybody outside of their church that they do inside of their church. There's something different about these people. You see, they had a life-changing love that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ and has only grown through our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, do the people in Piedmont see a genuine agape love in you? Do they see your love for other people? What do they hear you say about the church that you attend? Now, let me give you this warning. If you love like this, let me, let me hand you this warning. This love is very messy. This love is, is you get involved in so many messy situations. Most people who need this kind of love are going to consume your time, your energy, and your resources. Love them anyways. Love them anyways. No matter how much of their time, they, your time, how much of your energy, no matter how much of your resources, love them anyways. If you commit this morning to loving that way and loving the way that Paul has described here, let me tell you who you're going to encounter before Thanksgiving or Christmas. If you decide to love this way, you're going to encounter the addict. If you live here in this community and you decide to love this way, you're going to, you're going to encounter that person who is an addict, that person who has a dependency on a drug or alcohol or something, and they're going to consume your time, your energy, your resources. You're going to, you're going to hear, you're going to, you're going to encounter the homeless. You're going to encounter the hungry, the people who can't provide for their families. And these people may have wasted their resources on something else, something that they should have not done, and their families are hungry now as a result. But you've got to love them anyways. You're going to face the person who is fake. You're going to encounter the person who is facing a life-saving surgery. You're going to encounter the person who has lost their faith and has completely walked away from the church, and from everything that they've known before. And you're going to encounter the critic. 
you're going to encounter the person who criticizes you for getting involved with these people in, in the first place and for wasting your time and energy and resources on doing those things. Love the critic just as much as you love the addict and the homeless and the hungry and the person, all these other people. Jesus has called us to love. Paul is telling these people, you're making a difference because of the love that you have, and I want you to know that. And then he says, I pray for you all. In verse number 17, he says these words to them, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. He says, that's what I'm praying. I'm praying that you will develop a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, when, the, when we use the phrase knowing Christ, here we're talking about a faith that has saved you, a faith that has forgiven your sins, a faith in Christ that has given you eternal life. Paul says, I want you to have a deep knowledge of Jesus. I don't want you just to have facts and know facts about him, but I want him to get deep in your heart and change your whole life. Now, when I was in the eighth grade, there was a presidential election. It was not, I was in the eighth grade in 1979 and 1980. I know I don't look that old, but I was. Now, that year, there was a presidential election and my civics teacher was Miss Kay Kaiser. And Miss Kay Kaiser was one of the most amazing teachers in the whole world. She was teaching collaboratively before anybody ever told her that she was supposed to be teaching collaboratively. And so she took our, she took our class there in the eighth grade, and she divided us up into groups. And there were about six people who were serious contenders for the presidency. There was, uh, on the Democratic side, there was Jimmy Carter and Ted Kennedy. And on the Republican side, there was Ronald Reagan, George Bush, John Anderson, and John Connolly. And so she gave us those six candidates, and she didn't let us pick. She gave us the candidate that she told us she wanted us to have. So she gave me George Herbert Walker Bush. And she said, Michael, your assignment is to take George Herbert Walker Bush and you need to learn everything about him and know every fact you can know about him so that you can get the other people in our class to vote for him. And she told the other people who she gave those other names to, showed them the same thing. So I went that day, and I began to learn everything I could about George Herbert Walker Bush. I knew, that he, I knew where he was born. I knew that he went to Yale. I knew that he played baseball at Yale. I knew that he was shot down in World War II. His, his, his jet was shot down, and he was uh, uh, lost for a little while. I knew that he came back, and he got involved in politics and government. He was the head of the CIA. He was the head of a lot of other government agencies. I knew that, that, I knew that he was an economics major at Yale. I knew that he called Ronald Reagan's tax policy voodoo economics. Y'all remember that phrase? And so I learned all these facts, and I told people that they ought to vote for George Herbert Walker Bush. And guess what I did in the end when it came time to vote? I voted for Ronald Wilson Reagan. You see, I knew all the facts about George Bush. I knew a lot of facts about him. But my actions and my heart showed that my affections were somewhere else. My children will tell you today, 
that if um, if I had to pick a 13th apostle, it would have probably been Ronald Reagan. <laughs> they know that I, I, I that they they've known since they were growing up. You know, it's Reagan was our hero. My affections were, my knowledge was George Bush, but my affections went with Ronald Reagan. I knew all the facts, but my heart said something else. You see, a lot of times people will say, I'm a Christian. I'm a church member. I'm, I'm this. I do this or that. And, but their actions show something else. Their affections show something else. The desires of their heart show something else. Paul is saying here, I want you to have a deep knowledge of Christ, but I want that deep knowledge to have been through a relationship with him. I want you to know him in such a way that it has changed everything about you. The scriptures speak of knowing God as the spiritual person's ideal, namely the fullness of a relationship that brings salvation and eternal life, generating love, hope, obedience, and joy. See, when we know Jesus through the way that Paul is saying here, it's not just something that we say we know Jesus. It changes us. We have love where there wasn't love. We have hope where there wasn't hope. And obedience and joy are a part of our life. This should be the prayer of every pastor. And it should be the prayer of every Sunday school teacher, and every deacon, and every church leader. The Ephesians knew Christ, but Paul is praying that they might know him. They have a desire to know him to the fullest of their ability. A deep, full knowledge, a thorough knowledge. A.W. Tozer, the great writer, says this. He says, the biggest error in the evangelical church today is because we have found God, we no longer seek Him. Don't stop seeking God once you've found Him. Seek to know Him even greater and even deeper. I love to talk to people who are just now starting in their D-Life groups. And I love to hear their conversations and to talk about what they're getting from sitting down with the Bible every day and reading a chapter of the Bible. And in 52 weeks, knowing that they will have read the whole New Testament completely through. And knowing that they will they are growing deeper in their relationship with Jesus as a result. You see, the more we know about God, the more we love God. The more we love God, the more we want to know about God. It's a cycle that just drives us to a deeper relationship. And then he's, he finishes by saying, I want, I want God to allow us to know more about his wisdom and his power. Look at verse number 18 and 19. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul says, I want you to have better spiritual vision. I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. When the Bible talks about our heart, it's talking about our spiritual center. It's talking about where our, our relationship grows with God. And Paul is saying here, I want your vision, the vision of your heart for God to grow. 
He prays these things specifically for the Ephesians. He says, I want you to see these three things more vividly. First of all, I want you to see hope more vividly. The hope to which he has called us. Paul has written about hope in other scriptures. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 17, he says these words to the Ephesians, uh, to, the, to the church at Rome. In verse number 17 of chapter 8, he says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says here, he says we are heirs with Christ. He says one day we will be collectively presented to Jesus Christ and we will be heirs with him and everything that he has. And he says, if you are in a place today where you're hopeless, if you're in a place today where you're lonely, if you're in a place today where you feel isolated, if you're in a place today where you feel desperate, someday I know personally that my wretched life will bring glory to Jesus and that someday I will share in the inheritance that Jesus has with him. What is the world looking for more than any other thing? They're looking for hope. They're looking for hope. They're looking to believe and to hold on to something. Something that will something that will give them hope. The world is looking for that. And I can tell you, it won't be found in the political process. It won't be found in the financial system. It will only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything else in this world can leave you hopeless, but Jesus never will. And he says, I also want your eyes to be open to the riches, the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints. Think about this. God has the whole universe and everything that is possessed in the universe belongs to God. Every ounce of gold, every ounce of silver, every precious thing on this earth is God's. There are things out in this vast universe that are even more great and, and more wondrous then the things here on this earth that we've never even seen before, God has control and possession of every one of those things, and yet you are his great treasure. You are God's greatest treasure. When God was creating, when the, in, during the creation process, when he uh, created things, he would say, it is good. When he got to the creation of man, he said, it is good. Very good. You are the crown of his creation. You are his greatest prize and his greatest treasure. And we are worth so much to him that one day he gave his life in exchange for our sin and condemnation. Paul says, Ephesus, I want you to know more about the riches of his glorious inheritance. And then he says, I want you to know more about his power. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? When he, That Greek word there is dunamis. It's the word we get the word dynamite from. It's a powerful word. Dynamite moves things. Dynamite changes the landscape. Dynamite gets rid of excess waste. And Paul says, there is a power, there's a greatness of the power of God that will change the landscape of your life if you believe according to the working of his great might. 
Paul understands this, that there's no greater power that has ever came upon the face of this earth than the power that resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ one morning from a tomb. And he says, I know this, that that same power that resurrected Christ is the same power that met me one day on a road to Damascus and it's the same power that radically changed everything about me that took me from going to destroy the church and to persecute Christians to being a Christian and being a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I once hated. That's power. Some of you have experienced the power of that resurrection in your life where he has just completely came into your heart and changed everything about your nature. It's a wonderful power. And Paul said, I want you to know more about this. I want you to pray to know more about that power that saved you from hell and damnation to being a child of God and that power that gives you victory over sin in your life every day. I want you to know more about that power. What an incredible piece of writing. And if you go and look at that, all the way from 15 to 23, there's not, one, there's not a period there. It's one continuous exclamation from the Apostle Paul saying to this church at Ephesus, God's power is unending. God's love is unending. God's greatness is unending. God's ability to change your circumstances is unending. God's ability to do something and to give you the ability to glorify Him is greater than any other force on this earth. God wants to become not just, your, not just your Savior, but He wants to be the most important part of your life every single day. And for you to be able to rely, know that you can rely on Him every day in every situation, no matter what you face. And if Paul says these words to the church in Ephesus, I echo those words here this morning to you. You may be here this morning, you may have bitterness and anger and hate or jealousy or envy in your heart. God has the power to come in and through that dunamis power, that dynamite power, to blast those things away and to replace that with love and joy and peace and obedience to Him. You may be here this morning and you may feel a weight of guilt and shame and a weight of heaviness that you just feel like you can't bear anymore. God says, I have the power to take that and to change your circumstances and to make you whole. And to take, Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter 11, He said, Come unto me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden. Give those burdens to me. I'll take them from you, and I'll give you something lighter in return. I'll take the hardness of this world, and I will give you a relationship with me that will change everything. Why would you want anything else? Why would you need anything else? Why would you crave anything else other than the riches and power and glory of a relationship with Jesus Christ? The things of this world are all going to pass away, every single one of them. The pleasures of this world will someday be gone and, and dead. You'll spend eternity somewhere someday and you can spend eternity knowing that these scriptures changed your life and that you were able to take these scriptures and help other people's lives be changed 
or you'll spend eternity in a place separated from God forever and eternal torment thinking about these scriptures and what they could have done for you and what you should have done with them. This morning, I want to I offer you what Paul offered to the church at Ephesus when he went there is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you at a point in your life to where nothing else is satisfying you and you know that you there's a God-sized hole in your heart that only He can fill? This morning, would you, would you consider that stirring in your heart right now, that Holy, the Holy Spirit that's stirring your heart right now, and it is, is making you think and making you squirm and making you uncomfortable, you can give all that up. You can come and know Jesus. He can change your life. Not just now, but for eternity. Maybe you've been disobedient in following Jesus in baptism or in church, whatever it is. Maybe you just want to come here and pray and say, how can I take these scriptures and minister to this community here that needs it so desperately? Whatever it is, Darren's coming right now to lead us in a time of invitation, reflection, worship. However you need to use this time, use it wisely. If you know that you need that relationship with Jesus, I'm here. I have a Bible, and I can show you how to leave here today knowing that you have eternal life. Would you stand, Father? Thank you.